0: Well, hello there. Welcome to season four, episode 32 of the Still Becoming podcast. I'm so glad you're here. Now, today's episode is going to be a little bit different than what you may be used to if you've been listening to my podcast for any length of time. In season four, I've had quite a few of my friends on who are authors, podcasters, ministry leaders talking about their ministry and what God has called them to. I've been really honored and quite honestly thrilled to bring these women to you so that you could know what I know about their wonderful ministries and the way God is using them in the world around them. Now, usually when I do an interview, I have a preset list of questions that I have organized and I know where I want to go with the interview. And the person I'm interviewing knows as well. We, we talk ahead of time. We kind of plan it out a bit. And yes, it's conversational. And yes, things come up that we don't plan. And God does that. And we love that. But this conversation's a little bit different. It's more like a conversation between two sisters, two women who love each other, who have respect for each other. And we're talking about a somewhat difficult subject. And so I'm asking you to come and listen in to my conversation with my friend, Lisa Saruga. This was rather spur of the moment. Uh, she was not on my calendar, to, to be honest. But I have been thinking and praying and noodling through How I would like to come to you and talk to you about how we're to walk as Christians in 2024. Now, in season two, I believe it was, yes, I did a series of episodes called Walk in It, Shining the Light Along the Way. They came from a message that I give and that I'm giving now that I've updated that teaches how we walk in a chaotic culture. But 2024 is more than just a chaotic culture, it's a political year. Uh, We have been politically polarized in this country now for quite some time, and it's just getting worse. And I feel a burden to equip the saints and first and foremost to equip myself so then I can equip the saints to help us walk in a way that is worthy of the gospel. Where's that place? Where's that place? How How do we walk in love but walk in truth? How do we stand for what the Bible says without pushing people away? How do we draw people in to the sweet fragrance of Jesus, because that's what we're here for. We're not here to be fighters. We're here to know him and make him known to a lost and hurting world. How do we do it? And so I can't think of anyone better than Lisa to come and have a conversation about this because she spends a lot of time on Capitol Hill. She works with both sides of the aisle. She has a view that we don't have. She has such a unique view of our government and the people who are working behind the scenes and it will be enlightening and it will be educational and it will be challenging, but it's worth listening to. So no, we're not going to be talking about Donald Trump and Joe Biden, blah, 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 but not doing that. We're talking about us as Christian women, as Christian people and 2024. So let me introduce you to Lisa. Lisa is a licensed professional counselor, EMDR trauma therapist, and a legislative advocate who specializes in sexual trauma. She is the national speaker who is keynoted for college campuses, Christian retreats, community organizations, and Christian women's groups. She is the author of two books. Her book on healing from trauma, The Trauma Tree, Going Beyond Survival, Growing Toward Wholeness, will launch in winter 2025. As a trauma survivor, she has learned that hope and healing are available even when this world offers no happy endings. Although Lisa knows God does not purpose for us to experience trauma, she has discovered that God can use every aspect of our lives for a greater purpose. In addition to counseling, Lisa has proposed legislation in Lansing, Michigan, and Washington, D.C., and is working with several members of Congress in Washington, D.C., to improve safety for survivors of sexual violence. In this way, God has been using her story for His purposes. Dear listeners, it is my deepest desire that you are encouraged by my conversation with my friend Lisa. Hi there, friends. Welcome to the Still Becoming podcast, a place where women like you and me find help to move from where you are to where you want to be. I'm your host, Laura Acuna. The Still Becoming podcast is where we gather to rethink our thinking— about ourselves, our lives, and about our God. We will learn to reframe our shame and trade in limiting beliefs for the liberating truth from God's Word. And why the title still becoming? Because that's the Christian journey, isn't it? As we apply God's perfect Word to our lives for growth and change, we are always growing, always learning, and still becoming the women He created us to be. It's never perfect, and it's not too late. Do I need to say that again? It is never perfect, and it is not too late. I am so glad you're here for the journey, and I'm praying that God will speak directly to you through today's episode. Are you ready? Let's go. Well, hello, Lisa Zaruga, my friend. Welcome to the Still Becoming podcast. Hi, Laura. I'm so excited to be with you today. I'm so glad you're here. This has been a short notice kind of interview. I'm telling everybody right up front, I felt an urgency to bring Lisa's message to you right now at this time. And so we we moved everything up so that Lisa could come on and talk to us. And we're going to be talking about religion and politics, not in the way <laughs> you might think. Don't worry, you don't have to click off. We're not going to say anything crazy, but you we just do wanna... lost half your audience. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Stay, <laughs> don't go. Come back. Uh, we promise we won't get weird on you. And we promise that what we're going to share with you today is going to be life giving. And our prayers that you will leave with tools that God tools, as the message translation says, that you can use on your walk during this uh, crazy 2024 election season and really throughout your life, in all areas of your life. So I'm excited. But first, I want you to introduce yourself to us. Tell us what you'd like us to know about you before we get started. Okay. So my
1: story actually starts when I was in college. I was the victim of a violent crime. That crime was unsolved. He wore a ski mask and nobody saw his face. It was solved 35 years later. And when my cold case reopened, by that time, I was a trauma therapist. I had a degree in political science. I just had a, kind of a weird combination of experience and knowledge that made me a good person to talk to members of Congress and legislators at the state level about sexual assault specifically. But that's just opened doors for me to advocate. I've actually written some legislation at the, the state level, and it just opened doors for me to talk personally, to a lot of legislators in Washington, D.C. and in my state of Michigan.
0: So that is so interesting. And what exactly do you want to see change in the laws that we have in D.C. and in in our country and in the state of Michigan?
1: Oh, my goodness. We need more hours to talk about how many things I want to see change. (laughs) My area of focus is is, um, protecting victims of sexual violence. And so it it gets a little complicated, but there's some Supreme Court decisions that set precedence and some, some legislation, old legislation that makes it really difficult to prosecute offenders. So at this point, about two and a half percent of rapists go to jail. Wow. So we're looking at several changes to just make it a little easier for victims to get justice and to be protected.
0: And what do you think? has enabled you to be able to stay in that world and in, on that subject for so long, even though you are a victim of trauma yourself?
1: Uh, well, I think that being a victim creates passion mm-hmm. for for that incident. But, you know, as a trauma therapist, I, I do work with many victims of sexual abuse, sexual assaults, sexual violence. And, um, you know, time after time, I talk to people who haven't gotten justice and never felt like they were believed. And I lived 35 years feeling like I wasn't believed and I didn't get justice even after, after everything was solved. So I think that created a passion in me to make a difference.
0: It's amazing what God has done with your story. I know more about it than we have time to share today, but you have spent a lot of time in Washington, D.C., writing legislature, advocating for sexual assault victims And that gives you a very unique perspective when we want to talk about politics and how to walk that narrow path where we are not polarizing, where we are not hateful, where we're representing Jesus well. And I've heard part of your perspective, and I appreciate it so much. It's helped me so much, Lisa. And so I want to ask you, first of all, to tell me what you have observed as you have worked behind the scenes. And what you would like us people on the other side of the TV screen, because that's where we get our information from, some of us. We'll talk about that later. What do yeah. you know that we don't know? Well, I think that
1: what became really clear to me, first of all, when I go and talk to legislators, they don't know what political party I'm affiliated with or, you know, what I believe. They know what I believe about sexual assault and loss, but I don't ever Talk about my political leanings at all because I'm working with people on both sides of the aisle. Mm -hmm. And we all should be seeing the importance of laws to keep us safe from sexual violence, right? In that approach, it's been interesting because I have found that there are really good people on both sides of the aisle. There are people who agree with me, not only on sexual violence, but who are like minded Christians. And, you know, I've said in the past, I've prayed with legislators on both sides of the aisle. And I think that we really have gotten to this point in our nation where where we think, well, if you're a Christian, then you have to be a conservative Republican. And if you're a Democrat, you have to be anti-Christian. And that's not what I have found at all. That's what I see on TV. But that's not what I'm finding when I meet
0: with people in person. You know, you made me think of a trip we took a couple years ago to California to see our son. Uh, he lives in Burbank and we went to the Ronald Reagan Library in mm-hmm. the Simi Desert. Never been to a presidential library in our lives. And we went there because we could, because we were there. And so yeah. we went. And as we toured with our then 26-year-old son, there were picture after picture after picture of Ronald Reagan with Democrats. And then the story of their friendship and the great love they had for each other. One stood out was Tip O'Neill and how he was, they were such good friends. They had, they held each other in such high regard. And I'm reading this and I start crying in the library because I remember what that was like. And I said to Matthew, my son, I said, Matthew, this is what it was like. They fought like cats and dogs on the floor, but then behind the scenes, they go to old Epic grill downtown and have dinner together. And they were godfathers. That's my
1: favorite restaurant in D.C., Is
0: it? by the way. Mine, mine too. <laughs> and when are we going to meet there? We've got to do it. We've got <laughs> to do it. And I know. But that's what they did. And my son looked at me like, he never heard of such a thing. Yeah, You can't be friends. It seems so foreign
1: to us now. But I really think back to that time. I often refer to the Reagan years because it was just a different time. The yes. Republican Party was a different party then. The Democratic Party was a different party than it was just different. The whole idea, first of all, we were never meant to be a two-party system.
0: (laughs) If you read
1: even George Washington's exit speech, he talked about the dangers of being a two-party system. That's right. But we were meant to have people who think differently from ourselves all serving together because no one person has all the right answers. We want to hear different answers and different approaches and different opinions. That's healthy. And, you know, we do that all the time when we work in teams at work. The whole idea is we all bring different strengths. At this point in time, it's us against them. And so we have all the right answers and they, whoever they are, have all the wrong answers.
0: Yes. And and it goes a step further. We demonize them.
1: Absolutely. And when I think back, you know, what's the difference? We have twenty-four-seven news now. And it is not... Walter Cronkite coming on the air once a day to give us just, here's the facts. It's a lot of commentary. And, you know, I call our news stations infotainment. Great word. Yeah, because they are giving us information, but they're doing it in such a way to keep their viewership up. And to keep viewership up, you need to have some drama, right?
0: Mm -hmm. And fear.
1: Yes. And so it doesn't matter if you're watching... CNN and MSNBC, or if you're watching Fox News and you know whoever you're watching there, but they all are going to give their own slants, and they all want to keep your attention by keeping you on the edge a little bit and demonizing others. You know, in this day and age, when I think about most of our TV shows are reality TV, Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. think about the reality TV that you watch, there's arguing, there's tension, there's drama. That's what makes it interesting to watch. And I think our news has become a, just kind of that same type of thing. It's so
0: true. During COVID, just as an aside, when COVID happened, and of course, that was a whole thing, still is mm-hmm. in some ways. We were still dealing with the aftermath, which was political too. We turned to British period drama over here at my house. <laughs> we <like laughs> got <gotten> lost. <laughs> Even my husband was watching Downton Abbey. I mean, we were just like, we can't. <laughs> You know, we, I'm telling you, it, it was like, yeah. gone take me away. I didn't want, it right. was, it was the great escape where yeah. everything for me, was, it was the crown. Too. So. There, that too, <laughs> we watched that too. We've watched so many, we're now Googling, what have we not seen? You know, we want to, we're watching them all again. But that's yeah. so true. And I was saying to you before we went on air, I was going to ask you and I'll ask you now, what you do for news. How, how do you consume your news? Because it takes an effort honestly, to turn that stuff off and think for yourself.
1: Yeah. It takes an effort to find just good, no nonsense news without the commentary. I'm not sure I have found that place yet. Mm -hmm. Um, I know I I told you, I really like listening to the pour over Mm -hmm. because it just kind of gives the facts. It gives a little Christian perspective and that's it. Yep. And I, I think getting your news in short pieces like that, short chunks that are just the facts, then you're going to think about it. But if you're watching the 24-7 news cycles, they're doing your thinking for you. They're telling mm-hmm. you what the perspective is, what the right opinion is, who's in the wrong, right?
0: Exactly. Um, so when
1: I, but I do watch those shows. So um, I have a, an option on my, my TV service to watch more than one news channel at a time. And so I have set it up so that I have two left-leaning news stations on the left side of my screen and two right-leaning news stations on the right side of my screen. And I kind of bounce between them. The first thing I look for is what is each side talking about? Because they won't talk about the same things. Interesting. Right? A lot of times they're they're focused on demonizing the other party. And so the news stations on the right will be covering totally different news stories than what the left is covering whatever is advantageous to their side is right. what they're going to cover and so if you're watching only one station you're probably missing a big chunk of news because they're not going to talk about anything that's not advantageous to their side so i
0: try to mix it up a lot so that's really that's really and i think that takes a certain level of discipline to mm-hmm. be able to digest what both sides are saying and then think for yourself that the truth probably yeah. lies somewhere in between the- I have
1: to admit my my first degree was in political science and I really am kind of a political science geek. So, so you enjoy that. I started doing that with the four stations during an election year. My husband thinks I'm so weird because to me, you know, election night is like Super Bowl. <laughs> I'm watching <laughs> all the teams. <laughs> and I'm trying to figure out the science and how it's all going to work out. So that's how I started doing that, but then I I kind of just enjoyed it. I like I like being able to bounce around and see who's talking about what.
0: Yeah, it is interesting. If you if you enjoy that, my husband and <laughs> I we we do too. Not as much as you do because that's not our background. <laughs> but we do live right outside of Washington D.C., so I feel yeah. like we have a certain there's a certain something in the air, you know, that everything's political. It feels like. But for mm-hmm. us, we tr- I, I told you we turned it off, and so what we do is we get we go to the pour over. My husband gets a neutral news summary every day through his work and um, we seek it out that way. But everyone's got to do what they've got to do. I just feel as though it's important for Christians to remember that we get our answers from Jesus. We get it from the, we get our answers from the Word of God. When we're confused, when everything's upside down, when nothing seems Mm -hmm. right, we go to the total truth compass, go to the Bible that is relevant to today, for sure.
1: Absolutely. And I, I think that we've kind of used our news cycles to Form our Christianity rather mm-hmm. than the other way around. You know, I'll, I'll hear people say, you know, if, if you're a believer in Christ, you have to be conservative. You have to think this, 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 this. Well, Jesus wasn't a conservative or a, he wasn't a Republican or a Democrat. For <laughs> sure. <right? laughs> he definitely was thought to have pretty liberal ideas for his time period. Um, but the big thing was he thought independently and Jesus made decisions based on a love for humanity. And I think that we've kind of reversed that now, and it's a hate for the other side instead of a love for humanity. Yes. Um, yes. So for my politics, I filter everything through, really, what did Jesus do similarly? What did, he, what did he experience and how did he handle it? And if you do that, really, really search for Jesus' words and Jesus' actions he doesn't really line up with either party. <laughs> right. Because he's not an American. The other he's <laughs> not an American. He's not taking directives from a political party. He's thinking independently. And he knows the heart of God, right?
0: He does. And he is God. And the people were looking for a political leader then, too, that was going to save them. And he, yeah. he told them time and time again, that wasn't how it was going to go down. No. That wasn't it at all. And yet we still keep looking or a king. You know, we keep looking for, I I was saying to you beforehand, my my former pastor used to say, Jesus isn't going to come back riding on Air Force One. He's not. And I heard another pastor say, Jesus isn't coming back riding on an elephant or a donkey. That's not how that's going to (laughs) go. So it's true though, but we forget that. We forget that. And there's a lot of loud voices out there Mm -hmm. in the Christian world too, that- Are very loud and they're so sure of themselves. And, you know, and if we aren't in the Word of God for ourselves, if we are not self feeders, that's a word that was coined a long time ago. But if Mm -hmm. we're only getting our information from other people, we're going to be in trouble. We need to know the Word of God for ourselves and let it inform our thinking.
1: It's that critical thinking. I think we have become lazy as a
0: population.
1: We would rather have other people feed us Mm -hmm. the information, tell us their opinions rather than doing that critical thinking for ourselves. And it's interesting because churches have become, I got to be careful here. I love my church, love my pastor, love my people. But church is one of the places that you will hear a lot of demonizing and a lot of assuming that we're all on the same page politically because we're all in the same church. And that's just not the case.
0: Well, and it reminds me of the scripture about an, toward the end of time, you know, people will only listen to what their itching ears long to hear. And so yeah. we we tend to want to go where people think like we do and mm-hmm. maybe have the boldness to say things we're thinking, but we're not going to say, but they'll say it for us. And that is not healthy. As you just beautifully illustrated earlier, we want to be around people who think differently than we do. That's how we grow.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And that's how we grow. I remember years ago being in a women's Bible study, and I was of the mindset at that time, 20 years ago or so, that if you're a Christian, you're a conservative. I mean, that's it. You you know, it wasn't certainly the way it is today. I mean, we weren't all mad at each other, but we knew the difference, (laughs) you know, we were sure. And I remember sitting down in a Bible study circle with a woman who was quite not conservative and yet was a believer in Christ and was advocating for sex trafficking early on. And when she started talking in the circle about social justice and the things that mattered to her, I could feel my whole heart enlarging. Like I, I thought, I am so glad she's in my Bible study circle because I'm learning from her. And that was a, you know, it's a young woman in my 40s at the time. That was really meaningful to me. We grow. I didn't agree with her on everything.
1: You know, and the thing is, if one, if one political party had all the answers to fix everything socially, to fix justice, to fix our economy, to fix everything, we would not need another party. We wouldn't need <laughs> other opinions in there, right? And we, we would have figured that out, I think, by now.
0: I don't know if you know this or not, but life coaching is the second most growing profession in the United States. We probably can thank COVID for that because so many people came out of that experience wanting change. And that might be you. Are you in a transition? Have the kids left home? Are you thinking about retirement, but you can't make sense of how you are going to be fulfilled and serving God well in the next chapter of your life? If any of this resonates with you, life coaching may be your next right step. Let's find out. Head on over to my webpage, go to the coaching tab, and fill out the free discovery call form. I'd love to encourage you As you embark on your next chapter, helping you uncover your God-given potential, deepen your faith, and build confidence and authenticity. Although every client has their own unique story, my prayer and my goal for each client is that her life will blossom with purpose and faith and ultimately be overflowing with joy.
1: Nobody's got all the answers. And it's interesting. I don't... I don't know if you want to jump into this, but I was in Washington, D.C. It was one of the two, two of the times that I was there, and the issue of abortion was on the table both times. The first time I, I was there walking between offices, and I, could, I noticed helicopters and a crowd forming, and I don't know why I did not know this, but I had not done my research, and it was the Walk for Life week, and it was the time that Donald Trump came to the Want for Life, which was big news. It drew mm-hmm. huge crowds. Mm-hmm. And um, as I walked to my appointments, it was getting more and more crowded. And then signs started going up and pictures. And I have to say, as a Christian who believes in the sanctity of life, I was appalled by what I was seeing. Mm-hmm. I, you know, huge pictures of body parts, things calling, you know, women who have had abortions, baby murderers. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, is that, is that how Jesus would have approached these women? Absolutely not. No. And, you know, for a while I I worked in a a pregnancy resource center, a Christian pregnancy resource center. And what I learned there was that these women who were coming in and talking about abortion, they were in crisis. You know, they were really experiencing trauma. Most of them were feeling like they had to have an abortion. They didn't have a choice because they didn't have any way to support themselves or the baby. Right. That's right. And they were not baby murderers. They were women in crisis who did not know what to do. And and so that was my first thought. Why are we not coming to some middle ground on this and saying, how do we get the women out
0: of crisis so they can make a good choice for themselves? I've been involved in the pro-life movement for decades in one way or Mm -hmm. another. Very passionate about it myself. I've counseled many, many women who are post-abortive, whether it was 40 years ago or yesterday, you know, I mean, just, I'm so passionate about it, but the thing that I cannot abide is the name calling. I cannot abide it. It is so hateful and, you know, it it solves nothing, but it repels them away from Jesus. It just pushes them farther Mm -hmm. away. You can be compassionate about caring for, nurturing, and loving on a woman who's post-abortive and at the same time, be vehemently pro-life.
1: Right. Exactly. Well, and I think, you know, when I look at the sanctity of life, I'm not just looking at the life of unborn babies. The life That's of right. that woman is important too. And Absolutely. Jesus wants her too, right? And so standing outside of abortion clinics and calling women baby murderers, how does that help their spiritual view of things? Not at all. Yes, yes. Yes. And and I want to say years later I was in Washington DC again and I was standing on the steps of the Supreme Court when the Supreme Court overturned Roe versus Wade and that turned into quite a busy time too a lot of people a lot of protesters and I was equally appalled by what I saw because there was you know it, it was almost you know let's just make abortion our national birth control. (laughs) Right. right, right. It it was just, you know, kind of no thought to the life of the child. And it's like, you know, if we're going to push for sanctity of life, if we want, if we believe in the sanctity of life, then we have to be looking at the lives of everybody. And right now, you know, if you're a Republican, I think you're supposed to be more in tune with the life of the baby. And if you're a Democrat, you're more in tune with the life of the woman. And I, I don't know that either one of those is right. We need those we need to put that all together and process the whole picture.
0: And that's what that's what the loud voices are doing. The the, the loud people who get on the news, that's mm-hmm. what they're doing. But in the everyday life of human beings, that's not how it is. I mean, I know that our local pregnancy center here in Frederick, Maryland, CareNet, they have a whole, a whole program for the father, for the family. I mean, one of the things that people say, oh, pregnancy centers only care until the baby's born and then they don't care anymore. But that's not true. They walk with the family for several years. They make sure they get established. They do everything they can. And if a woman comes in for pre-abortive counseling, decides to go down the street and have the abortion, she's told you are welcome back here after for care. So that's what's really going on. If human beings are left to do the right thing on their own, generally speaking, not always, we know that, but there are good things going on that don't get reported, I guess is what I'm saying.
1: I was in Washington DC for the care care net. I was going to say care network. I was in, I went to their national conference Mm. and I was so impressed because they, you know, they talked regularly about we're not just pro-life we're pro abundant life. Yes. And that's what Jesus wants for us is an abundant life, an abundant life. Look at the, the parents in crisis look at the unborn child, look at the other children living in the home sometimes, right? We want abundant life for families and
0: individuals, but we we can't just look at one life over another. Until you're proximate to the situation, you know, we just fall into our political lines or our political thinking, and we don't really stop and think about who we're talking about and they're human beings well, on think, the other end.
1: I, when it, when I think about, you know, you were talking about where we get our information and For those who get their information from 24-7 news, on TV, you're not hearing from everybody. You're hearing only from those vocal people that get good ratings, right? Right. And, And you and I were talking about this. Behind the curtain, there's good people that are serving as legislators because they want to do what's best for the country. I don't know anybody who's run for office because they want to destroy the economy or they want to have a world war, right? But that's what we end up accusing each other of. Oh, they only, you know, he's president because he wants to destroy us. And that's not why people run for office. There's a lot of good people with good intentions, with differences of opinions. But the people who are very vocal and who are really good at sounding like warriors and at demonizing others, those are the people that get the airtime. So if that's where you're going for your news, you're only going to hear the extremes.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And that and that was very eye-opening when you said that, that behind the scenes, of course, it makes perfect sense, but you don't think that way when you're not behind the curtain like you are, that there are people working hard day and night who have dedicated themselves to public service and that there are good people on both sides of the aisle working together, trying to hammer things out. It is mm-hmm. those that get the ratings and provide the provocative sound bites who get yes. on on the air.
1: Yeah. And what we don't see, I mean, even at the state level, when the piece of legislation that I wrote had bipartisan support and I had bipartisan sponsors. And the way that happened was I was talking to one person who was on board. He wanted to sponsor the legislation. He said, I want you to talk to my best friend about this because she's going to think it's really important to you. Well, his best friend was from the other party, (laughs) and the two of them co sponsored it. Wow. So, you know, what you saw at the Reagan Museum. Still happens, but it doesn't make good news. So we don't hear about it.
0: Exactly. Exactly. What if we believe the best about people first? And then there is, there is pressure from parties to vote certain
1: ways. And so, again, we don't see that people are willing to work together because the parties have put so much pressure to follow the party line, right?
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um,
1: and if you want to stay in office, you tow the party line. And and unfortunately, we, we see that in the news too. And it makes that division look even
0: greater. So true. Okay. So I I want to bring this now as Christian women who primarily listen to the podcast and who you serve, we serve similar audiences. How are we supposed to walk in this volatile time? Where do you think that I've been calling it the narrow place where Jesus, I believe, would be? How do we do it? That's the question, isn't it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> You know,
1: I think as Christians, we're called to love people. Mm -hmm. And I think we forget that that is what we're called to do. And, you know, you you brought up COVID. I think the period of the COVID shutdowns just highlighted how divided we were and became divisive in itself. What I hear is a therapist. You know, I, I talk to people all the time who, since COVID, don't have good relationships within their families because they didn't agree on masking or they didn't agree on vaccinations or mm. Fauci. <laughs> yeah, right, agree. right. It was just, right. you know, and the whole time during that period, I'm thinking, this is a health issue, right? Now, clearly, politics had to be involved because we had to figure out what to do. But this was something that we'd never experienced in our lifetime that no politician had the answers for. We're just guessing. It just became so divisive. And there are families that still have divisions within the families because of disagreements over COVID. And it's a health issue. It's a virus and it it can attack you no matter what your political thoughts are, right? (laughs) Yes. And we all want to find an answer for that. I will tell you, within my own family, there was that divisiveness. I think there was in every family. But I was at an event with family members, and I just decided I'm not going to say anything unless it's neutral. And so somebody was talking about, in Michigan, Governor Whitmer is a Democrat, and at the time, Trump, the president, was a Republican. They didn't like each other. He called her that woman mm-hmm, from mm-hmm. Michigan. Yeah. Yes. And so in Michigan, it was always, you know, are you going to believe Trump or are you going to believe Whitmer? Right. And so there was this conversation where people were really demonizing Governor Whitmer, calling her... Witch Whitmer. Yes. And a lot of name calling, a lot of just attacking her. And so my neutral comment was this I said, I wouldn't want to be Donald Trump and I wouldn't want to be Gretchen Whitmer because they're facing something we've never faced in our lifetime. Nobody knows. They're just guessing on what the right thing to do is. And they're going to be hated by half the people no matter what they decide. And the person who was making the comments about Witch Whitmer left and never returned. Well, wow. because I didn't agree. This goes back to what I was saying before. It's not that I had a difference of opinion. I didn't express the same opinion. So whatever I said was wrong. Right. And what I said was neutral. Yes. I said, I don't want to be either one of them. They have a really hard job, right? That's
0: true. But, but in this culture, the thought if is, if you don't agree with me, then you are definitely a hundred percent on the other side and you need to be canceled. Exactly. You know, how
1: many people have said, you know, maybe I consider myself, this isn't me, I consider myself a Republican, but I, I don't like Trump. And I've heard conversations where people will say, well, then you have to be a Democrat if you don't like Trump. No,
0: <laughs> I no. don't.
1: <laughs> <Mm-mm>. <laughs> right?
0: Wrong. Stating,
1: stating what you don't agree with doesn't mean you agree with the flip side of it. it there, it's not that black and white. There's a lot of nuances there that we forget to talk about.
0: So true. So true. I have this burden on my heart that I want to be part of the unity of the church during this time. And Mm -hmm. not that I feel that I was part of disunity before necessarily, but I feel as though I can't be passive this time, that I need to be more uh, vocal, speaking more about unification. I was thinking about Priscilla Shire. She says, unity is not sameness. It's oneness of purpose." Yeah, I love that because we can be unified and have different opinions and mm-hmm. different beliefs. We can still be unified. Our churches yeah. have been torn apart by this stuff. Pastors were quitting in record numbers. You know, mm-hmm. I, I mean, just it's wreaked havoc on our reputation in the culture as Christians. We also get painted with one big, broad brush evangelical Christian you know. Oh,
1: absolutely.
0: Neanderthal. And that's,
1: <laughs> well, yeah. right. And it's kind
0: of, you know, our churches, I'm
1: just guessing on years, like 1930s to 50s, became very focused on sin and what you don't do and judgment and condemnation. And that's how people see the church now. I was watching this documentary called, I think it's called Jesus Left the Building. Hmm. And they were interviewing young people who were talking about having panic attacks when they just see a steeple, because that steeple in their mind represents judgment. And is that really who we are as a church? I mean, is that really who we're called to be? Is that what Jesus did? Jesus hung out with tax collectors and prostitutes and sinners and loved them, right? And he came after Um, the
0: religious people.
1: He surely did. (laughs) And I, I just think, I think we've pigeonholed ourselves as churches into seemingly unwelcoming places and that's not what the church is supposed to be we're called to love right, right? right and for every person that we hate and hold at arms distance that's somebody who's not getting to know really who Jesus is and you know people are always saying what's my calling in life i don't know how do you know what you're calling in life we are called to love people we're called to love people to Christ that's our calling how you right. go about doing that might differ but If we're called, you know, the the Great Commission was all of our commissions. We were all called to go and teach people about Jesus, and we want to teach people about Jesus in loving ways, or we're just chasing people away. We are right. We're right. And and now with these, you know, pulling politics in. Politics is not religion. That's Mm -mm. the first thing we have to recognize. Politics should not be a religion. And if you're dividing. Within churches, because of politics, the politics have become your religion. We need to yeah. be united for Christ, and then we can disagree on other things that happen in the world.
0: I remember the night of January sixth when we none of us none of us knew what was going on. It was just terrifying. We really didn't know. We still don't really know exactly. Again, we're, we don't know. And let me just say as an aside, I'm learning to be comfortable. That I can't know everything and I won't know everything. I have to trust God. I'm just not Mm going to know it all. And I can't believe everything I read. But that day, that evening, I just started searching for any pastor that would come on the air and soothe our souls. It was hard to find, to be honest with you. You know, that year and the year before were, as you said, no one had ever been here before. Everybody was trying to do whatever they could do. And some stepped in it and some did not. (laughs) It just was, uh, you know, you have to give grace. I think it's very wise to give grace to a lot of people trying to figure all this out. But I was looking for anybody to come on and soothe my panicked and troubled soul. And Matt Chandler from the Village Church in Flower Mm Mound, Texas was at his kitchen table live. And I have sent that recording from Instagram to so many people over the years because he was such a quiet calm and he was caught off guard. He said, I didn't plan to be here talking to you today, but here I am. And he is such a shepherd. At least he was in that moment. I don't know the man, but you know, he, he calmed, his, he was talking to his church. It was a church call, not, it really wasn't meant for me. And he calmed his flock. And then he said some really important things because some of you are probably going to get mad at me, but I'm telling you right now that the Jesus we know and love was not represented there today. I don't care what your politics are. I don't care what, you know, I, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about Jesus. I thought there he is in Texas saying that, you know, and, yeah. and then of all places. And then he goes on to say, we have a discipleship problem in this country. I said, yes, 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 we really do. We're, we are the laziest country probably in the world when it comes to reading our Bibles. And yet we have these iPhones that have 100 versions all in the palm of our hand. They will read to us. There's even an easy to read version. Yeah. I mean, we have everything we need, and yet we don't we don't avail ourselves of it. So few do or we
1: avail our parts or we only access those parts that prove our point.
0: Right. 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 Elizabeth Elliott says that we only know how crooked our thinking is when we line it up with the straight edge of God's word. Mm-hmm. It corrects our thinking. And it doesn't make us liberal or conservative. It makes us a follower of Jesus. And that's where we want to be. I don't want to get it wrong.
1: You know, I was talking with Caitlin Scheiss. She's the author of The Ballot in the Bible. She was interviewed on the Even If podcast with Christy Lowe on the really same good. topic. She really is. Good. And I love that she was talking about how there's a lot of Christians who are calling themselves politically homeless now because, you know, can't be Democrat because that's where the heathens are. And you can't be Republican because I don't agree with whatever the ultra-conservative thing is. And and so there's this whole new term of being politically homeless. And she said, you know, politics are not supposed to be our home. Mm. Our home is not in Washington, D.C., right? That's right. That's right. And I thought that was such a great point. That's politics is not our home.
0: That is beautiful. She's awesome. I've heard her on a few podcasts. That's a young, strong voice for Reason and The Middle Road. She's brilliant. Our pastor last year, I think it was last, no, it was probably two years ago now. It was probably in 2022. He did a sermon series on the messy middle. And a lot of times when you hear the messy middle, you think, oh, that's just a cop-out. You know, you're not taking a stand for anything. But he's like, oh, no, oh, no, 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 no. It's not a passive stand at all. It's a deliberate choice to follow Jesus Christ through the confusion and the chaos. And it was so inspirational. He, He isn't our pastor anymore, but even now if anyone says messy middle in my church, people all know what that sermon meant to them personally, because it straightened us up yeah, in a time of confusion. And yeah. uh, I want to stay That's so up.
1: important. And I, I guess, you know, going back to when I said we were, we're called to love each other. You mm. know, I, I see so many families divided over politics and our families should be the easiest people to love. Exactly. And so when you ask about, you know, how to, how do we change that, the conversation, how do we change the dialogue? I think, you know, let's, Let's return to the idea that we love each other
0: first. You reminded me, our middle son lived in Chicago for nine years and came home last year after nine years away. We took a ride one day. We were going to some farmer's markets together. It was a great day. And he started sharing with me his heart for what's going on in the world and Russia and Ukraine and the poor Mm -hmm. and on and on and on. And he would, he and I would not necessarily see completely eye to eye on what he believed and what I believe. And I said to him, I, he goes, I know you might not want to hear this. And I said, no, I want, I really, really want to hear it. I really yeah. want to hear it. The whole drive. I'll never forget it through the countryside. I took the long way so we could talk longer. And if you want to talk to your boys, you always got to either feed them or take them for a ride, even when they're exactly. 34 years old. Or sit in and a hot tub. That, that was my, and he, my parenting tool. We sit in the hot go. tub every night and they'd talk about anything. That's <laughs> right. That's right. So, so anyway when the day was done, guess who was informed at the end? Mom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I texted him before I went to bed that night. I was literally back with tears, just like running down my face. And I texted him. And I said, you have always had the biggest heart, the biggest heart, and you care so much for people. And it was so evident in everything mm-hmm. that you shared with me. And it was beautiful because I really did see it that way. I don't yeah. agree with him, but I'm so proud of him because I saw his heart. Right. And sometimes people's
1: reasons for believing different from us can really be loving reasons. Yes. We just, we just don't see it the same. We don't have the same perspective. So true. So
0: true. It's so true. Well, I could talk to you for two straight hours. Me too. (laughs) But unfortunately we can't. I really want to thank you. You have such a unique voice and Uh, Your perspective, your demeanor, your background in in trauma counseling, your own healing, it just makes such a beautiful package to speak Mm -hmm. to that middle place, to that place of grace and love where, you know, we just don't we want to represent him well and we want to work well for the Lord and and, um wanna represent him well to a lost and hurting world. And the screaming and yelling is never going at anyone there. I heard a pastor say recently, if you have been accepting of sin, completely accepting of sin in someone's life, when their eyes are open, they will not come to you. If you have been harsh and hateful to someone because of their sin, when their eyes are open, they're not coming to you either. They're going to come to the one who loved them anyway. Mm -hmm. It's so true. And that's true for us too, as sinners. Okay. Last question. Okay. I'm asking everybody, where is the grace in aging for you? What are you learning as you grow older? Ooh. Let me think, you know, I, what comes
1: to mind first is, and it actually does tie to this. I'm not always right. (laughs) I think the older I get, the more I realize I don't know everything. Right. And I think that's a good place to be because then we can hear other people's hearts. And like you, I learned so much from my, my adult children who just think differently than I do. And. If I'm constantly trying to tell them, no, you have to be, you have to agree with me or you have to, I have more knowledge than you do. I don't learn as much. And so I think just coming to that place of, I don't know everything and I have a lot to learn keeps
0: me young. It keeps you young and it keeps you humble, which is the best Mm -hmm. posture to be in, in this climate. You know, I could imagine saying to an adult child, that's not how I raised you. Yeah. That is not how I raised you, but I would have missed the opportunity to say, I did raise him to love people. I did. Yes. Absolutely. Just, it, it's, a, it's expressing it differently than I do. So we miss so many opportunities to connect hearts with other people and to bring people together. It's so true. Thank you for coming on. Thank you for having me. I'm going to pray for us as we go out because. I didn't pray at the beginning and I really think I should have, so let's, okay. pray. let's pray at the end. Okay. Um, dear Lord, thank you so much for this conversation, Father. And I, I just pray that, that the words that Lisa and I have spoken together, completely spontaneous for the most part, reach the ears that need to hear it most, Lord. We, we long to bring hope and clarity to the women who we serve. And so, Lord, I just thank you for that. Keep us strong, keep us steady, and most of all, help us, Lord, to love your people. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you. I truly hope today's episode was meaningful to you. Whether you're someone who's humming along and you've got this down and you know exactly how you need to be conducting your life during this time, this political crazy time, or whether you're someone who struggles like me, who is deeply concerned about the state of our country and deeply concerned about, quite honestly, the state of the body of Christ in relationship to politics. It has been divisive. It has been heartbreaking. And I want to find that narrow path. I want to stay on that narrow path. I want to honor Jesus with my life. And I want to make sure that I'm representing him well. And I know you do too. So thank you so much for listening in. And would you please, before you go, would you please hit the subscriber follow? It's those small little gestures that you can make for podcasters like myself that help us get our word out to women who need to hear it most. And a review would be even better. If you could leave some stars and maybe a written review, that would help a lot as well. I really, really appreciate you being here. Now what you can expect coming up um, in the future The next few episodes will be solo episodes from me where I'll be kind of taking the conversation we had today and going a little deeper over the next few episodes. And then we'll be back to some more interviews and then season four will come to an end. Thank you so much for being here with me. May God bless you and keep you until we meet again. I'll see you next time on the Still Becoming podcast.